Hello there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of an entertaining chat, this time with one Mr. Dan Zare. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to chat with you. Yeah, you as well. So to the fans that may not know who you are yet, and who doesn't know who you are, you have coffee with Kenobi every month, right? (laughs) Yes, we do, in fact. So go ahead and tell us uh, what you do now and where people can find you so we can make sure that they can check out your show as well. Sure. Thank you. We, are, we I am a co-founder and co-host of Coffee with Kenobi. Is we are uh, in May. We'll have been on the air for four years. Um, we are we're doing great. It's been a it's a super fun show. The whole the whole crux of it is discussion, analysis, and rhetoric. And I am an educator, and my partner is a graphic designer. So what we try to do is we there are so many as you know there's so many Star Wars podcasts out there it's just it's staggering really Nathan to think about and so you have to find an itch you have to find something and and I like analyzing literature uh, that's what I do with my high school seniors and my freshmen and I at one point I was sitting there thinking we're looking at Dracula actually and I thought this is so much fun wouldn't it be great to do this with Star Wars because there's so much there and I I'd always been drawn to Star Wars podcasts and I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't know how to do a podcast. I didn't know who my partner would be. I just didn't really know what angle to take. So I just sort of, it never really came to fruition. And at some point it just sort of hit me like, I've got to do this. And actually the point for me was when I was on the indie cast, the Indiana Jones cast with that doll stuff. Because I was the unof- the official unofficial fan club president, <laughs> because I I emailed Ed all the time and he would he would share my emails on the air and I just was thrilled every time I got to hear him reading my voice and I thought this is such a cool thrill this would be great I know how this feels I want people to feel the same way for when I when they're on our show or when they're on any show I want to be able to give people a platform so you kind of have a couple things running it I wanted to do something analytical. And I know there are analytical shows there, but I feel like this is different because of because of my my literature background. And then I wanted to do something where fans had a voice, so I make sure they're a part of every conversation. And I also loathe spoilers and speculation because I prefer to deal with what is mm-hmm. than what might be because I think it's not as accurate and you just don't know. I mean, I have no problem with guessing and getting excited. I think that's an important part of fandom, but that's that's kind of where that came. So. Coffee with Kenobi when that started, um, you know, as things happen, I Twitter is a, is a wonderful tool for marketing. So I became friends with people and eventually got the attention of Lucasfilm and led to uh, me proposing something about education, which led to another proposal and another proposal. And, and finally, they said, hey, we'd like to have you as a regular. And I've got almost 70 articles on StarWars.com now. I write for them once a week. And life is really good, man. Life, I mean, I've, I've been very blessed. The Force has been strong, and, and I'm very grateful. You are one with the Force, and the Force is with you. Exactly. Exactly. Didn't you tweet that recently? Um, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you, you bring 
Star Wars, you have a literature background, um, and you use that in the classroom. Talk to me a little bit about how you introduce that to your students and what the reception has been. Sure. Well, the the first time when you I was in insurance for a while and then I just didn't feel like that was where I was supposed to be. I didn't feel like that was my calling. And I went back to school to be a teacher. And one of the things you have to do as an educator is you go to a number of classes and you have to film yourself teaching to your peers, other, you know, burgeoning, perspiring, you know, and growing educators. And the first lesson I taught was in 2005. And of course, Revenge of the Sith was fresh in my mind. So I taught a lesson comparing Hamlet to Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> it was the very first thing I ever taught. And I, and I just, everybody was really interested and I had a, a ball doing it. It was just a lot of fun to do. And I thought there's something there. In the meantime, when I was in college for my first bachelor's, I, I had once had an academic advisor tell me that my problem was that I thought I had needed to be entertained to be educated. And that ended up being a really prescient comment because that's kind of my mantra. The, the whole purpose of education at its core is to engage students because if you don't get them interested in what you're talking about, they're not going to learn anything. They're not going to pay attention to what you have to offer, and then they're they're going to tune out, and then they're not going to learn anything. And that would be that would be the great travesty. So you don't you want to avoid that. So whenever I introduce key concepts or ideas, I will sprinkle Star Wars in there, and I will maybe show examples from the films. I mean, recently, when teaching plot structure to my freshmen. I showed them an episode of the Clone Wars from season one and they had them analyze the plot structure and where, you know, where's the climax of the piece? Where's the rising action? What's the resolution? Is there a resolution? And you just kind of get it going. Man does not live on Star Wars alone. So I don't solely teach Star Wars because I think that would be tiresome for them and for me. But anytime you can introduce it or talk about concepts, it's there. When I teach King Arthur, we watch a new hope because it's just perfect. Right. And the Joseph Campbell, Myth is just all right there by the numbers. It's practically paint by numbers, especially when you consider that George Lucas studied under Joseph Campbell and they were friends. And there's just there's just so much there to that. And when I first started teaching, when I would mention Star Wars, there may be one or two people in the in my class that would have heard of it. <laughs> now it's weird if you haven't heard of it. And whereas you'd maybe see one or two Star Wars shirts. A month now, I see you, you know, eight or nine Star Wars different T-shirts an hour. So it, it's it's amazing. I mean, obviously Disney purchasing it and making these new films is ninety nine percent of that. Mm-hmm. But but now people know, you know, and and people, as I said, I've been very fortunate with the show. We do a lot of stuff. It's first Star Wars Reads Day at the high school where I teach, and I've had different actors from the films and people involved with star Wars, creating star Wars, Skyping to my students. And so they know, they know Mr. Zayer is the star Wars teacher and uh, it, it's great. It really gets the conversation going. So they were pretty receptive and open to it. You said at the beginning, there were some that didn't really know about star Wars, but now obviously since the Disney acquisition, everybody knows what star Wars is again, right? Exactly. So, when they dis- announced that the uh, acquisition plans, did you ramp up your your plan for schooling again? Be like, oh, I gotta I gotta bring in all the the original episodes and all the 
all the Clone Wars content I could find into the classroom? Or how did how did that affect you in your teaching curriculum? Honestly, I think it just sort of reignited a spark. It didn't. It all it did was it gave me more of an idea to show a new hope, as far as that goes. But as far as the references and the in the in the posters in my room and and one of the things I do is when I have students participate is I give them poker chips and it's not because we're gambling. It's because <laughs> is that the way they keep track of their participation. So if they answer a question that I think is a credible answer that is, you know, they get the points for that particular answer. Then I have them shoot a poker chip and they had to land. It used to be they landed into a stormtrooper head and now they landed in R2D2. You know, just little things like that where it's there. So it, it don't, I don't know if it's so much changed a lot. It just kind of helps students to be more interested. And so that because of that, I guess I found it kind of trickling out more naturally, more organically. But it's not like I sat down and said, okay, now I'm going to do X, Y, and Z because this is what I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I used to use Raider the Lost Ark a lot, which to me is still my favorite movie, even more than any Star Wars film. And I, I, I like the idea of him as a hero. And uh, he's just so unorthodox, and there's just a lot of beauty in that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you ascribe to the theory that if Indiana Jones wasn't even in the movie, he it wouldn't matter, everything would happen? No, I don't subscribe <laughs> to that at all. I, I will admit I did spend a lot of time thinking about it, but no, I don't think so. I think he's important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, who else is going to tell Marianne not to look, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... When when you say that you were using Star Wars to kind of reach your students on a more entertaining level or kind of be something that was more relatable to them, it reminds me of uh, a regular that we have on the show here. He's a he's an educator, and that's Mo. Obviously, you know, we're talking about you, buddy. And he's a, a teacher that uses video games kind of in the same way. He never really played them before, but he wanted to connect with his kids. And so they were playing games, and he never played a game before. He picked up games to try to relate to them, and, you know, he's got a great relationship with his kids that have been built out of that. So it sounds like you've got something similar going with Star Wars here. Is that right? I think so. I think, like I said, I think Star Wars is one of the great olive branches to people that may be reluctant. I can think of a number of students right now that are a little bit more of a reluctant learner, but we introduce Star Wars or you show up one day with a Darth Vader tie or something like that, then you're going to get somebody, oh, you know what? Maybe I do want to listen to what this guy has to say because, you know, maybe he's going to talk about Star Wars. You just, you just, I think it's just sort of something that's omnipresent. So if you make it a part of who you are and it's not like it's hard to do, I mean, that is who I am. I think one of the best pieces of advice one of my mentors told me was when you teach, don't try to be like me or like any other teacher. Just be yourself. Be 100% authentic because students can sniff out if you're not. And I think that's what they gravitate towards. That's a very good piece of advice. So when you decided to, you said it was about four years ago now that you've been doing the podcast. So you were doing mm-hmm. teaching in the classroom before that. When you decided to finally step into the realm of the podcast, how nervous were you for your first episode? Uh, honestly, not even a little bit. No? Wow. Not even a little bit. And that's because, I mean, I teach for a living. So I've any nerves I had along went away because when you're talking about being in front of over 100 teenagers who, you know, if you if you maybe have a pimple one day, forget about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so that's that's sort of like the the training grounds and, and it's great. And honestly, I'm very fortunate because when I was a kid, 
I was so shy. I was practically afraid of my own shadow. And then I went and worked at Disney World and I just sort of broke me of that. And now I'm not shy. I love to talk. I love to engage with people. I like, I think the best thing about discourse and podcasting is that I learn different things from how different people see the saga or just different aspects of Star Wars or just film or literature in general. So it's exciting to me. My co-host, Corey Club, is my good friend. And we're very opposite in that he maybe gets a little bit nervous, even though he hides it well, and he's and he's excellent. I mean, he's awesome at it. For me, when I'm doing that, like when I was at the museum last week or it was whatever, I feel adrenaline. Like I get more excited. So you feed as far as what I'm gonna, energy. Exactly. That's exactly right. And even if uh, it, like from that, from what I'm going to say, I never worry about what I'm going to say because I know it's just going to come. The first time we recorded, however, is an interesting story because I went over to Corey's house because he just lives a few uh, minutes from me, and our mics were multi-directional, so we kept picking up each every each other, and it took us 18 hours to do a 20-minute show, our very first show with editing. It was an yeah, no, it was just recording. It oh. was an absolute nightmare. No, the editing was no big deal. It was the, the recording it, and then things didn't work, and then we couldn't get ourselves on separate tracks, and the, the audio was bad, and then it would just be in one. It would be, it was in stereo, so we only hear one person out of one speaker out of the other, and it just we didn't know what was going on. We were we were an absolute mess. And now, you know, we'll do a three-hour show and get it out in an hour. It's not even a big deal, but I think you have to make a ton of mistakes because I think that's the only way you learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't learn unless you try, right? There is mm-hmm. there is no path to doing something that is always perfect if you've never done it before. So by making those mistakes or, or maybe just understanding the process behind it, you have a greater understanding when you want to go make another product. Yes, well said. So tell me, when you decided to do Coffee with Kenobi, that was that was it, right? That was your vision. I want to just get out. I want to talk about the you know, the Star Wars with my buddy. And mm. what was your goal? Was it monthly? Was it weekly? Uh, annually? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, the goal was to do it bi-weekly because we thought that that gives you a little bit of time to recruit new guests and to write this show. And you know how it is. I mean, it takes me about an hour and a half to write each show because I we put a lot of work into it and kind of map out you know, different strategies or different stories we want to talk about. And, and coming up, I think questions, a good question is more important than a good answer. So I think the question is the key. That's the linchpin, the fulcrum, to borrow stars reference to everything that we do. So that's kind of the key. We've, we've since gone to monthly because Corey went back to school to get his bachelor's and he just, congratulations to him, he just got it. So nice. 2017 is going to be a little bit different and we're still kind of fleshing that out. But initially it was, it was biweekly, but we've done so many shows. I mean, we've, we were, we get different authors on all the time or different creatives from the animated series or comics or whatever. So Whenever I get a chance to interview somebody extra, we'll just put it out as a bonus show. We typically call it our coffee chats. So any, at any given time, we'll have between four to six or seven shows a month. And also that's because we have our, our coffee with Kenobi family. We have Legends Library with Randy and Luke. We talk at the Legends line. and We have lattes with Leia with Amy Ratcliffe and Dr. Andrea Letamendi where they talk about things from a female perspective. And it's not like they talk about quote unquote girl topics. Cause what does that even mean? I mean, any topic is, is genderless. It's more about a different, a different way of looking at things. 
Then we have Comics with Kenobi with Jeff and Matt, and uh, we have Rebels Reactions where we look at the Rebels thing. So there's definitely a lot going on in our feed all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you look at your feed now, it's up to about 220-something, 226 or so. Yes, that sounds right. the number of episodes, and it's, it's for a four-year show, that's pretty impressive. Yes, I did the math recently. I'm like, whoa, we've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of content, a lot of library uh, for people to go listen to. So definitely, if you haven't checked out Coffee with Kenobi's feed yet on iTunes or wherever else, um, go check it out. There's a lot of good stuff to look at. And I think you said on the latest episode that the most downloaded episode uh, to this date is the the in-depth discussion on The Force Awakens. Yes, that's correct. It practically quadrupled our normal numbers, which are usually pretty good. So what do you think it was about that particular episode that people gravitate to? Do you think it's just the fact that that movie was so huge, people want to see you know, what your thoughts are on it? Or what drives the, the listenership at that point, do you think? I think the, the, the way you market it is big, and I think that the number of guests we had, because we pretty much had everybody who co-hosts the show with us, but I, I really think when it when it comes down to it, it's the Force Awakens. People were so hungry for that. I mean, they'd waited since 1983 to see what's going to happen to Han Solo and, and Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. So that was that was the gravitational pull that brought everybody towards that episode. And it was fun. I mean, we spent a lot of time discussing, and there are a lot of voices to juggle. And you know that can be challenging, of course, as a host yourself. But I really think it was just. I mean, we had we had excellent discussion. And I think that word got out about that, but I think ultimately when you write in the Force Awakens, you know, discussion or review, that's going to show up on, you know, the SEOs and Google and people are going to want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So we know what the fan favorite episode is. What is your personal favorite? What is the piece that you have on your feed that you look at every time and be like, man, I am super glad I got a chance to do that? I think I think there would be two answers to that. I think... One is the first time we had James Arnold Taylor on as a voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi from Clone Wars and Rebels because it was it was so hard to get him. And then once we did the floodgates kind of opened because I think people got out that, you know, that we were a fun show to be on or we were good to work with. Or I don't know what it was, but I'm happy that it happened. I'm, and I'm glad that it continues to happen. We were so nervous when I was talking to him, like my stomach hurt. And I, <laughs> I promise you, I promise you, Nathan, I don't get really nervous anymore. But that was just intimidating because he was such a big deal. And he became like very supportive of our show. And he, he sent us an MP3 of him saying different things in Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice, including coffee with Kenobi in our names. And that was just that was a huge thrill. The same thing happened with Tom Kane. He did some I mean, if, if anybody's heard our show at the beginning, that's Tom Kane as Yoda. And he's saying our slogan and he's and he's saying our names. And I listened to that probably 15 times in a row just speechless because I thought, I can't believe this is happening. So those were two big ones. But I think my the biggest one that continues to come back is having Freddie Prinze Jr., the voice of Kenan Jarrus. He's been on like six or seven times, and he's he's very busy. I mean, he's got a, a popular cookbook. He's a dad. He's, he's very busy in Hollywood and in, in ESPN and stuff like that. But he always comes on our show. He comes on our show twice a year. And he's so stinking cool. Like he's just the kind of guy you'd want to sit around and have coffee with or tea or beer. And he just seems like someone you went to college with and was just your friend. And he's smart and he's witty. And he just has all these references to 80s movies, which we all love. And <laughs> he's just a really, really, really cool dude. So that those are, those are definitely ones where I feel proud. And, and it worked. 
very well in celebration Anaheim. He uh, he requested to talk to us face to face, so we got to do a live interview with him, and that was pretty special too. That that was probably a, a, a mountaintop moment for us. Doing that live interview. Yes. Because we walked, we walked into the press conference. You know, you got Dave Filoni and Simon Kimberg and all the actors there, and he comes up. He's like, "Hey, Dan, what's up?" And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> that's cool." You know that that was that was a crazy moment. I remember texting my wife and I said, "Freddie knows who I am," and she said, "Oh, great! Can you bring him home?" I said, "No, <laughs> I cannot. Can't do that. He he he's too busy." Mm-hmm. So. You you mentioned that you were out at Celebration Anaheim. Now, were you there as a fan or as more of a media person? I, I went to Celebration 3 as a fan, and that was when the, kind of the start of, hey, I want to have more of a voice in this community. I feel like I have something to contribute to the conversation. But for Anaheim, we were we were all out press. And we, you know, there's a lot of prep that went into that. We put out multiple shows each day, met a lot of people, uh, really got a lot to do a lot of stuff with Lucasfilm. Uh, yeah, that w- we were full out press and we're going to do that for Orlando too. And yeah, whatever else happens, it's, it's definitely the way. Have you been to celebration before? I went to celebration three in Indy. Yeah. Same, same. I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw yeah. you across the way. It's great, isn't it? It's just a, an amazing thing. Are you going to one, one, one Orlando? Uh, I would love to. However, I'm not sure if it's going to fit in the cards just yet. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's going to be really special. It, this is the this is the going to be the thirtieth anniversary, so you know it's going to be very special. Extremely, yeah. There's there's a there's I've been privy to a few things that are going to happen, and it sounds like it's going to knock our socks off. So speaking of knocking our socks off, mm-hmm. what is it about Star Wars that makes you love it? That makes it really have a place in your heart that you want to do a podcast about that you want to talk to people about that you want to seek out and go to these conventions. What is it about star Wars that keeps drawing you back? That's a good question. I I think it's a a tough question. My brother-in-law actually asked me this today when we were having lunch, but I think at its core, it just reminds me of, I mean, of course the themes of hope and believing that, you know, even the most ordinary people can do something extraordinary. I think that's a beautiful thing. And that's, you know, it's very, it's on the present in literature, Harry Potter, and, you know, insert your favorite genre piece in here for that. But I remember as a kid, because I grew up, I, Star Wars came out when I was five years old, and we tried to go see it three and four and five times, and it was always sold out. And that used to be, I was so disappointed. In fact, I owned... C-3PO, the Kenner action figure, before I ever saw the movie, and I thought C-3PO was like, I thought he was like this robot from Logan's Run that was on the trapeze in some (laughs) random episode, because I had no clue, but I just knew that it was something really exciting, and of course they marketed it so well. So I finally got to see it. The first time I ever saw Star Wars was with my entire family at a drive-in. So I'm watching Star Wars under the stars, like actually under real stars, and then we went and bought some more figures the next day, and you know, every Christmas and anytime we'd go to a toy store, if we, if all the figures there were ones we already had, we'd buy an extra stormtrooper or a, a, one of the sand people or a Jawa because we knew you had to have extras, right, to make it seem more textured for mm-hmm. your collection. And I just, you know, I have so many memories of Star Wars, whether it's seeing movies with my family or my friends or the the hours and hours and, and more money than I 
could probably care to admit that I spent hunting for these collectibles and going to conventions and just, you know, I, I used, I was scoured years ago. I scoured four Walmarts uh, in the central Illinois area to find Star Wars toothbrushes just for the, <laughs> just for the thrill of the hunt. It just, it does something special to me because I think the genius of George Lucas, and there's a lot to him that's genius is that it reinvents itself all the time. There are different ways to enjoy it. And I just think it speaks to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. In many ways, it's almost like sports or religion. It's almost like uh, the great uniting factor that, that binds us together, to borrow a phrase from a certain uh, caffeinated Jedi. <laughs> it surrounds us. It binds us. Exactly. So I did something similar when you mentioned going to get those toothbrushes. Mm-hmm. Last uh, year when they did The Force Awakens, they had four Band-Aid tins. <laughs> Yep. At the, I don't know if it was exclusive to Walmart or not, but they were. you had four ones and I just, there were a few Walmarts I had to go to to get all four, but you know, it's kind of funny because it's great. Yeah. That's something that you don't necessarily get these days with the internet being as pre-orderability for everything that you want as it is mm-hmm. being able to go to the websites and just getting, you know, the crates of the entire wave of figures. It kind of takes that whole thrill of the hunt out of it. Mm-hmm. So in fact, the day the that uh, Rogue One came out, I went to to Walmart and I was chatting with my nephew in the aisle. And another guy walked up. He was looking at the figures, and I just started talking to him. And he, you know, has a great collection of figures. He's got all these kinds of uh, stuff from like '77. He's got the mail-away figures. He's got lines of everything. Wow! And he's he's a super fan. He just checks out you know the WalMarts when he's around the area to see what they have if they have anything new, and. It's something that when someone's in the toy aisle and they're looking at the Star Wars figures and you're looking at the Star Wars figures, you can just talk to them. You don't feel – you have yeah. a common ground at that point. And you can just say, hey, what do you think about this one? Are you looking forward to the movie? When are you going to go see the movie? You know? It's absolutely true. It's, it's like I said, it's just something that it just – it used to be – I don't know if – I mean I'm assuming you're just similar in age to me. You're probably a little bit younger. But I, it used to be when you would go and you would – see Star Wars stuff or, or go for hunting for collectibles. It used to be there was just sort of this weird, like, comparison where people were trying to put, well, I'm a bigger fan or whatever they're like that. And fortunately, that's went away because I think people have grown up and they've realized that just that doesn't matter. It's it's completely unimportant. And it's, plus, it's impossible to measure. It's more about, hey, we like this stuff. It's a lot of fun. It just speaks to us in so many different ways. And it just creates community. I mean, look at the 501st. Look at how they raise money for, you know, for kids who need it so much. And there's just a lot of people that help each other through the through the prism of Star Wars. And I, I think that's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 501st do really great work, especially with the children's hospitals and things like that, going to you go to see the kids when it's in there. I do uh, every year. I do something called Extra Life, which I think yeah, I've talked to you about in the past, and it's mm-hmm. something where you raise money for the hospitals for the in the area here in Peoria. But the five hundred first being actually able to go there dressed as stormtroopers or um, you know being able to see the kids and the kids have a great reaction when they walk in there. Yeah, they might be a little bit afraid of Vader sometimes, but they're usually pretty receptive to to the guys when they come in there. So it's really great that they take their own time and money and just dedicate themselves to that craft and being able to do it because a, they love the star Wars and B they want to bring a smile to a kid. Right. Right. They're, and when you think about the kids in the hospitals like that, it's a really difficult time for them, even though they might, may not see it at this point, but 
by being able to distract them a little bit by coming in dressed as a stormtrooper or what have you, that's an amazing thing. So hats off for sure to the 501st. Absolutely. They are. They're great. They're great people. There's a lot of the Midwest garrison. There's a lot of good people there. They actually helped me um, start on my TK armors. And there's 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 some really fascinating, uh, really grounded, passionate people. Mm -hmm. So we're getting close to about that time. I have I have to ask you a few questions about Star Wars, obviously, about your your preference for the movies. What's what would you say is your your ranking? You don't necessarily have to assign it a number per se, but mm -hmm. what do you, where do they fall in your heart? Sure. Uh, no, that's fair. I, I mean, it goes. It's pretty cut and dry for me. It's Empire and Star Wars. That's one and one A, and then Jedi, and then The Force Awakens, and then Revenge of the Sith, tied with Rogue One, and then Phantom Menace, and then Attack of the Clones. We're very similar. <laughs> really? Tell Actually, yours. So for me, my number one is going to be Jedi. Jedi is just my favorite. It's the culmination of the series. It's the emotion between father and son at the final battle. Uh, it has the Emperor in it, which I absolutely love the Emperor. I mean, I sometimes crack out the Emperor voice when I, you know, am having fun. And <laughs> it's just, it's so emotional and so good. And it speaks to me on a lot of different levels. And I love it. Uh, behind that one, though, is The Force Awakens. So... That one, it just, it captured me in a way that I didn't think possible. It's almost a perfect Star Wars movie. It really is. Because you have a lot of great characters. You have classic characters that have been established, so you have a little bit more of a nostalgia feeling for them. And you have the great tragedies and, and everything that informs what's happening. And you feel for all the characters as they go through there. It's a great introduction of new and mixing with old. It was just, it was, it was fantastic. It was great. And I used to say that The Force Awakens and, and Jedi were like neck and neck for me. I mean, it's still really close. There's there's not a lot of room in between those two, but those guys, Jedi and Force Awakens for sure for me are number one and two. Uh, after that, I got to go Sith. Sith is... I grew up with the prequels, so I'm, I'll am i be 30 next month. Okay. And so I was... Oh, I was born in 87, so that makes me 12 when the when episode 11, <laughs> 11 <laughs> episode <laughs> 1 came out it is late uh <laughs> episode 11 i've got a pre sneak peek um that's pretty exciting <laughs> and i remember going and seeing that in theater and it was it was great it was star wars that was my star wars i was able to relate to it in a way that was different and mm -hmm. i have a, a fondness for the prequels that a lot of my peers don't seem to have which is fine everybody is, i love is the prequels I, do I absolutely too. love them I mean, my least favorite of the Star Wars movies is a prequel, and that's episode two. Mm, um, same. But so it's Jedi, Awakens, Sith, and I have to probably put Empire, Rogue One, A New Hope, Phantom, and then Clones. Interesting that you have the original so far down, but I would think that's probably, I mean, I have it so high up because that's the one, that's the first one I saw. That was your introduction to it. Yeah. That's the one. And that's always the one that you do. And I, surprisingly enough, even though Attack of the Clones is my least favorite, it's the prequel I watch more than the others. Really? Yes. I, I think it's because I love Dooku. I love Count Dooku. Oh, uh, yes. And you know and what's I, interesting? I like Jango Fett quite a bit, too, and I like the story with the clones. I mean, obviously, the love stuff is a little weak. <laughs> it's sand, a lot weak. It's, it's yeah. horse and it's everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's a little little scary. But his scene with, with the Tuscans, I think, is amongst the most powerful in all of cinema, period. And, and he's really Shakespearean in that. 
So I love it. And I like the lightsaber duels too. Mm-hmm. It gets me every time like he goes and he meets uh, Klee Lars and they've been out riding for a long time. Can't find where Shmi is. Anakin goes and talks to the Jawas. Did anybody talk to the Jawas before? Because as soon as he does, he finds out where she is. Well, I I, I could be wrong. I think Anakin might be a bit more persuasive. Ah, uh, could be. Who knows? Maybe yeah. he was bargaining with them to fix a droid. Could be. <laughs> so, in addition to that, we know that the cinema is a package. The movies are, you know, it's it's the complete package. You have the visuals. You have the story, acting. But you also have music. Now, when you think of music in Star Wars, which piece comes to your mind as this is Star Wars? When that comes on, that's what you think of every time when you think of Star Wars. That's a hard question because it kind of depends on the day ah. and kind of the theme, kind of how you're feeling. I mean, obviously the hero's theme. I mean, when in The Force Awakens, when they see, you know, that ship's garbage and they run to the Falcon and they play the hero's theme. Like that, even saying that, it gives me goosebumps because that is maybe my favorite moment in The Force Awakens. I just think it's a beautiful scene because that kind of encapsulates everything that I love about Star Wars. Of course, the opening title and, you know, the Imperial March, those are easy, you know. So I I think the Heroes March, uh, the um, the throne room scene in, in title from the original New Hope will always be special to me because when we were planning our wedding – uh, we were trying to come up with all this different music, and I was kind of sneaking around, and I downloaded, you know, the the throne scene in in <laughs> finale, and I said, hey, "Let's listen to this. What? Tell me if you think this would be good." And I play it, and they were just my wife and the lady of Selma's were listening to it, and and they go, "That's nice." And Deanna looks at me, she goes, "Is that Star Wars?" And I said, yeah, she goes, that sounds good. Let's go with that. And I thought, <laughs> yes. So when I got married, when they said, you may kiss the bride, and, and now, you know, present Mr. and Mrs. Dan's there, we turn around and they start playing that scene when Luke and Han get their medals from Princess Leia after the Death Star's been blown up. And everyone's laughing. And it's not because they were making fun of us, they were just happy. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was sort of the culmination of my journey to find, you know, the love of my life. And it was just, it was such a beautiful moment. So those are probably, I mean, there's a, st- a lot of stuff in The Force Awakens that I think are wonderful and really speak to me in a lot of levels. But I think the ones I mentioned are the big ones. That's awesome. And that, that good sir, is a, a great part for us to end on. That was a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. So once more, where can our dear listeners find your show and find you on social media? Yeah, well, we are Coffee with Kenobi. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Pinterest. Our website is coffeewithkenobi.com. You can hear the show on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play. Pretty much anywhere that you that you listen to podcasts, you'll find us. I am online on Twitter at, at Mr. Zare, M-R-Z-E-H-R. I'm quite the prolific Twitter, so if you like reading about the Cubs or <laughs> Star Wars, that is the place to go. And uh, or, I mean, that's, and then StarWars.com, you can find my writing there. I do a column called Studying Skywalkers where I analyze the films and Star Wars universe. And then Comic Book Galaxy is the, the weekly recap. So those, those, are the, those are the main places. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, you can find this show, obviously, on Twitter at EntertainingPod, and I'm on Twitter at VoicedByNathan. So that'll about do it for us this week, month, whenever this is. 
And Dan, again, thank you so much for taking some time and talking with us tonight. Nathan, thank you. It's, this has been long overdue, and I, I appreciate your patience. I'm, I had a great time, and I would love, love, love to be back on anytime, man. All right. I'm sure we can make it happen. Very good. All right. Thanks again, sir. Thank you. told you was true from a certain point of view.